This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media, even if it's 65 million years old. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, are my esteemed colleagues, co-hosts, and cohorts, Adrian and Doug. Gang, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hey, all you mutant goons, we got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> mm. Oh my god, and hold on to your guts, I should say, because this is Carnosaur and not Jurassic Park. Oh, I did a pun! Well, here's a fun one. Sorry. You did. I had actually, while my wife and I were re-watching Jurassic Park for the episode for last week, I had mocked up another logo. You've all seen by now the Slashers Pod logo for the month, which is a play on Jurassic Park. But I did another one where I used the, the red orb, and I put it beside itself, and I made hands grabbing it, and it, uh, in the little black bar, I put butthole, and my wife just glared at me. So that will not be a shirt we release this this month. Sorry. Ah, butthole. How old are you? Five. Sorry, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> so, Doug, it's been a couple of weeks since you were on. What the hell have you been up to? Yeah, well, shit. I'm. I, I've got the bags. My bags have bags under their eyes, and I was about to pass out for a week, but I'm like, you know what? I we got to do this episode, Carnosaur. It's a great. Uh, and it's got Clint Howard in it. You know, I can't miss that opportunity up. But uh, yeah, so I've been on set the past two weeks on Alien Danger 2. It's going to be released, I believe, alongside with the first one because the first one's still being edited as we speak. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so in fact, I was watching this and a lot of like the, the costumes, there's some hand puppet stuff. And um, oh, there's yeah. some scenes where you can tell where there's like actors inside of the costume. I'm like, I know exactly how that is because I've been doing that with uh, with with Techno Destructo. And the thing is, when blood and water soaks into that costume and latex, it's like a sponge. It just sucks it all up. So literally, it's like, yeah, these people got to work out in here. You don't need a gym membership when you're working on the set of Carnosaur. You're like Goku when he has the weighted gi. Yeah, I know shit. I have a design for that, too. I'll have you all know. <laughs> well, no, I love how the dinosaur is in this, too. It's like a little gecko. And then it's like, you haven't even seen my final form. Yeah, and right. It turns into this, this, this ah! hand puppet. <laughs> I really wish there was a guy with a scouter who's just like, it's over 9,000. <laughs> well, let me save that for Carnosaur 6. Oh, yeah. yeah. As we talked about, there are five. And a lot of people don't really realize that because two are just dirty bastardizations. So you have Carnosaur, which is released in 93. Carnosaur 2 released in, well, then like 95. Three primal species. Four is technically just called Raptor. And then five is the Eden formula. Five actually features Tony Todd. So Raptor has some redeeming characters. Four and five just steal, I will say, quote unquote, special effects from the first three and then just reuse them. And so much so you're like, why is that guy suddenly wearing a rain slicker? Oh, so they could use this scene where a guy in a rain slicker is killed by a T-Rex. They are bad unforgivably bad eric roberts you should be ashamed of yourself eric roberts was just in the movie i was in too <laughs> which now that i know that your colleagues i will i'll dial that back maybe you should have a mild degree of regret not necessarily be ashamed no it's cool he had the easiest scenes he just sat in the couch the whole time nice <laughs> like burt ward and stuff in their later years where it's just I, i'm famous and i'm on set now yeah, so I'm like, okay, I, well, yes, your butt napkins, my lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? It's like anything you need, another foot massage, my lord, Eric Roberts. Yeah. Hey, I was in the Eden formula. That made me laugh so hard, I almost 
peed my pants. That's right. I'm still on the ice game, gang. Oh, you almost peed your pants. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. You got to stick frozen down there. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yes. On my on my mutilated testiculars. Well, who knows? Maybe at the uh, I was thinking, man, hey, for Carnosaur or Eden Formula 2, whatever, um, <laughs> you know, when you get yourself snipped from the vasectomy and it's like, oh, we were testing dinosaurs in here. So next thing you know, you're going to give birth to a baby dinosaur. You impregnated yourself with a baby dinosaur because of your vasectomy. Yeah. Oh, they have like a little sperm tail. There we go. Yay. When I watched Carnosaur, I was thinking about the first episode with Doug with humanoids from the deep. I was just about to say that too. Remember with where he did that remake of humanoids from the deep exactly. and he just recycled the same thing? Yeah. From 95, where it's literally the same footage. And it's just like, wait, what? It's not what? Well, I see Roger. Well, I didn't feel like spending $20. So I looked up in the closet and I found the same outfit from humanoids from the deep. And this red flannel was used again and again and that's how i saved 50 cents and these fucking pricks can't even be bothered to like flip it even just that especially when you watch them in immediate succession like i did for this episode i mean it was one after another and i was like oh my god i feel like watch it spin round to a beautiful oblivion my brain was gone (laughs) oh well that's how it is when you get into a roger corman movie like this here but you want to know what i noticed looking at this tape again here did you see Gene Siskel, thumbs up. Terrific. I really like this movie. You did. Have you listened to the him and Ebert go at it? Oh, yeah. They they fight all the time. They're like an old married couple. I loved it. That dynamic. Yeah. And uh, the, the, here's another one. This ain't no walk in the park. That's from Chris Gore from Film Threat. <laughs> and then another one, too, is Tony Timpono. OK, the Fangoria guy. Yeah. He's like, awesome. These dinosaurs have bite. So to this film's credit. Not only did this film beat Jurassic Park to the theaters, also the book predated Jurassic Park as well. The book was written by John Bronson under the pseudonym Harry Adam Knight. And yeah, it's it's fine. I've already said it in a few places, but if this episode gets a thousand downloads, we will record an audiobook of Carnosaur. Hopefully, I can pawn off a few of the chapters on you guys because I read it. It's quaint, but this is a very loose adaptation, and it's this reminds me so much of Orca. Did you did you listen to the Orca episode? This predates both of you on the show. Yeah, back in the day, yeah, back when I was a whippersnapper. Exactly. So in Orca, there's a question as to whether the novelization is the source material or just a novelization. And that they were trying to do what they did with Jaws and say, oh, it's based on a novel, right? They wanted that aplomb. And so in this, Corman had bought the rights like two years before and didn't do anything. It was actually his wife who met up with the director and they, uh, uh, you know, the old cliche of writing the contract on a napkin and then doesn't do anything until he hears about the murmurings of Jurassic Park and goes, ah, I can do this faster and I will take it. And if you look at some of the promotion, it'll even say in the style of Jurassic Park or or in the theme of Jurassic Park. And it's literally just a direct thievery. Well, and then the lead actress in this film, too, her daughter's in Jurassic Park. Did you pick that up? I did not. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, that's that's all something. But but Corman beat it to it. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? But this one, you get cute geckos. They remind me of like the, the Geico gecko ripping people's guts out so these dinosaurs were a lot cuter reminds me of yoshi from super mario bros but yeah that yeah, same kind yeah. of thing 
Yeah, they were. And this one's got Looney. What would help this movie out too would be the the Looney Tunes trauma effects, like when when, yes. when the Raptors kind of he's running into the car, like the Road Runner <laughs> just smashes right. In. Yes. And then the hippie commune too. It's like peace, my green brother. Oh my yes, God. that'd be awesome. <laughs> but we're jumping ahead. Now, Aid, had you seen this film before, or I guess any of the films? Did you, did you guys just watch the Carnosaur or all of the Carnosaur Day? No, I, I watched all. I watched three of them when you because you said we were only going to talk about three of them. <laughs> and after the third one, I'm like, I'm never going to fucking watch the other two. So sorry. Well, you've already technically watched the other two because it's just recycled footage of the first three. Okay, well then I feel better about that. Well, see, this is a. I, I love this. Say it's like, yeah, I watched all three of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, they weren't that long, so I'm like, all right, I'll just put them on and just do chores around the house and. Oh my God, which was the third one. It was so hard to get through. Like it just went on forever. I didn't even know what was happening. And it, I don't know. I'm jumping ahead. I think that's 83 minutes, 83 minutes, 85 minutes. And then I think in the Raptor and Eden formula, I think they get as low as like 77 minutes. And then you have credits. I mean, it's just, oh, I can't, we can't even start talking about Carnosaur until we talk about this. Why the fuck do the credits go the wrong way? Oh, yeah. I thought that was just a YouTube thing. That was so unsettling to me. I wanted to write a sternly worded letter to Roger <laughs> Corman, who's still alive. So wait, does it do that on the videotape or just I figure like, don't they like sometimes people like will change like a audio or a little like little tweaks on stuff when they upload it to YouTube. So I, that's what I thought. I checked the YouTube version and the archive.org version, and they're the exact same with it rolling downwards instead of upwards. It was very weird. Oh, okay. Well, I, I could tell you right now, if you were to interview um, Corman, he'd probably say, well, we accidentally pressed fast forward, and I didn't want to spend any more money, so I just <laughs> left it that way, and it went the opposite way. That's exactly correct. <laughs> and, and then the other thing, too, it ends on Alfred E. Newman getting burned. What was that about? So odd. It's like, fuck you, Mad Magazine. So the first one is kind of art, right? When you deal with the plague and everything, it's it's kind of, you know, it reminds me of like, what is it, the George A. Romero freaks? Not freaks. The one with the, the, the zombie people that aren't zombies that has the pitchfork. The crazies? Oh, the, the crazies. Crazies. There we go. Sorry, I, I wanted to say the amusement park because I was looking at the stuff for the new Shutter release. I'm like, what the fuck? It's clearly not that. But it like, oh, global pandemic. This is the end of the it's the end of the world. And then the kind of like sardonic ending. I was like, wow, that's got a somberness I'm not really prepared for. Like we've taken all humor from the world as we prepare to shuffle forth this mortal coil. Weird. Yeah. I'm kind of sad they didn't revisit anything to do with that in the second one. Right. Right. What a ripoff. What the fuck was the point of that ending? Like, you didn't even go back to it. Anyway, sorry. Well, I mean, that had a pretty George Romero Night of the Living Dead ending, too. With the, Are we allowed to say spoilers on here? Yeah, fuck it. If you, you, you guys can watch it. The movie right? is almost a bajillion years old. It's 30 years old almost at this point. Come on. Yeah, the main character gets shot up like uh, pretty much like Night of the Living Dead does. But yeah, it's weird. This movie, I actually liked it more than The Crazies, like the original George Romero one. Yeah. Because if, have you watched the original George Romero one? And some, a bunch of old white guys that look like Mitch McConnell all sitting down like, that's all they do. It's it's very heavy handed in what it's trying to do. It's kind of like, a, was it Shin Godzilla where it's like, you know, we're all talking about how to handle this threat. And, and I get like the snide commentary on bureaucracy and whatever, but it's just not fun. This movie is fun. Like it's stupid and fun and a hand puppet. 
do you love that you can see the shape of the hand in the puppet as it's moving? Oh, I love it. This is like a throwback to, like I said, the, the alien danger one I was working on now. It's it's just a it, it's cheap. Here's the thing. I don't know if Roger Corman meant it. He's like, well, let's just see if the hand puppet can pop up in there. Mm, well, I guess that'll work. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like a Tommy Wiseau thing where it's like you think it's good. You know what <laughs> oh, I mean? Yeah, it, it is what it is. It's a fun popcorn movie. And you got Clint Howard and, and a lot of gratuitous shots of close ups of Clint Howard eating green beans and mashed potatoes. So go figure. Yeah, and he's in this movie for a shit and a fart. I mean, he's really not in it for very long. You kind of wish that he was in like just a little bit more, but I get it. You know, he, he very much has his like. I wish that he had his ticks moment in this. You know, where um, he's got like a pulsing. Fa- just use him a little bit more effectively. But also, they probably paid him very minimally and perhaps entirely in beans. So that's why he's in it so briefly. Mm. yeah well when did ice cream man come out because i think like that's his magnum opus like anytime i see him in a movie i want him to do is wes that's not my butter brickle <laughs> i think it's actually the same year i want to say it is 95 sorry i was 95 I okay yeah so he, he's he's up and coming he hasn't got his ice cream man fame yet yeah but first the chanya that's for four star trek people out of the thousand who are going to <laughs> download this episode that's right. You better get a thousand. You better get a thousand. You care waxers out there. We're not here fanning our nutsack. So, you you know, download, download, download. We got to get more views. Download it the same person and then just share it. Put it on thumb drives and just put them in bottles and throw them in the ocean. Kill all sea life with bottles that contain MP3s of this episode. Yes, this will be the first bootlegged podcast in production. <laughs> so go figure. I love that. Press it on vinyl. You know, they used to steal vinyls. They would use wax and pour it onto the vinyl record and they'd pull it off and then they would make that a mold. So piracy long precedes Napster and everything. Hmm. See, the more, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anything but talking about this movie, because I have lost my mind. The film was written and directed by Adam Simon, probably best known for brain dead from 1990, did a bunch of TV shit, some acting shit. The film is hugely famous for being co-produced by Roger Corman and Mike Elliott, who would do one of the sequels in Corman, and then blah, 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 blah. My biggest gripe with the film, the music. What do you think? I didn't really think much of the music. I mean, honestly, I didn't even remember. Like, I didn't even have any notes written on the music. (laughs) It feels so cheap. It pulls the whole movie down, like a full letter grade to me, because it just sounds like weird crappy filler music from like a 1990 like babylon 5 ripoff show and it's terrible nigel holton please walk away in shame oh my god well it, w- it was a difference of five dollars or 250 so we decided to go with the composer that worked for two dollars and 50 cents well funny you mention the the cost of music Later on in this very franchise, you have music by one James Buttfucking Horner, but it was not an original score for this film. Instead, they bought music that already existed and slapped it on. Eh, can't blame them. You want to know what I mean? Like this is before IMDb, before people can look up, you know, what music was in a movie, what movie was used. Because, you know, when this came out to tape, no one had Internet. So they're all just like, oh, yeah, I've heard that sounds like, uh, you know, Night on Bald Mountain or something like that. You know, just the same old stuff. It's yeah. As long as people rent the tape, you're making money. Roger Corman, don't give a fuck. Not at all. 
Yeah, and when it comes to the film franchise, I feel like people back in the day were much more liberal when it came to watching things or playing things out of sequence, right? I was always a completionist. Like, I never played Double Dragon 3 until I'd finished 2. I never saw Jurassic Park 2 until I'd seen 1. And so back in the day, I feel like whatever you caught on TV, whatever was at the rental store, people were much more willing to just interchangeably kind of parse them out. And so the repetitiousness, the direct thievery from clips of the movie and stuff, probably a lot of people were grateful for because it catches you up to stuff you might not have even gotten a chance to see. But now the Internet. Yeah. So, like I said, with this one here, I mean, it's 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 a good time. I like I haven't seen the sequels, so I, I, you know, I can't be the the judge of that one there. But this one's fine. I, I think it's it's a good B-movie romp. It's up there with... In fact, my buddy Alex, when we did Don't Touch That Dell, there's a scene called B- with Big Beite, which is like this big locked ass monster that comes out of L.A. Mm-hmm. And he used a lot of like that... Some scenes in there, he kind of used his inspiration for the, 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 the hand puppet. It's supposed to look really bad, but you know, it's, it's from Carnosaur. That's awesome. Yeah, and like I said, with, with Clint Howard, uh, he gets killed in this movie. Oh, and then what do you think about the opening with all these chickens? Oh my God. That was like the worst part. Like that, and then when the one guy's talking about how you can eat, like, have a pie last for, like, how long? When he's talking about the pie. Oh, like a year in the cabinet and not even the refrigerator because of, like, eel sperm or something. And then you can put it over the blueberries. I'm like, why are they? (laughs) So I tried to, like, figure out the theme of this movie based on, like, the the animals. So I guess it was, like, a commentary on the food industry if it were for going... For going this way. Which honestly is not far from Michael Crichton's original intent with Jurassic Park. I talked about it on that episode. You know, he talked about people's ecological impact and like the idea that you would make lumber square to make it easier for people or change the color of fish to make it easier to, to do these things to almost hedonistically sustain yourself. And so this film is very much like that, that compromise, the GMO, if you will. So in ways, it's actually more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, when can I get these blueberry sperm cream pies available in stores? Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, less offensive than some of the high fructose corn syrup people put in their bodies. Oh, yeah, I know. All these anti-vax motherfuckers. I'm like, just tell me the ingredients of the last thing that you ate. Just tell me. If you, see if you know that as well. Come on now. Are these people that are like, like you said, the anti-vaxxers, I'm not putting that stuff in my body. I don't know what it is. And then they go to 7-Eleven and buy one of those 7-Eleven sweet teas. You know what's in one of those 7-Eleven sweet teas? Almost like (laughs) it's bad. Like there's so much sugar. There's so much fake shit in that stuff. It's like you're drinking basically cancer. It's sugar and the tears of orphans. Yeah. Yes. Dead orphans. Yes. Because then they wring them out and that's how they de-tear them. Yeah, see, uh, detearing. <laughs> they didn't use a, what was that, uh, the, the kid's dove? No tears. No oh, yeah, tears. exactly. <laughs> they actually use the extra tear shampoo that they use on the sad bunnies. And then they kill them. Then they twist them. Then they strain them to make sure that there's no brain in it. This is just tears. It's not brain and other gook. Adrian, did you have a retort to the detour about mutilating fatherless children? What? No, I have no retorts. No, I'm good. This is where I'd like you to exercise your improvisational skills. And yes, and I want you to grotesquely add. Oh, I I can't add things like that. No, I can't talk about children that way. Yes, and I have nothing. Why do no? You always put me on the spot, and then I like my mind goes poof, and I can't think of anything. 
Carnosaur. Forget Jurassic Park. Kids will love this movie. Oh, God. Um, I actually think that kids would like Carnosaur better than Jurassic Park. Oh, I think so, too. I would. <laughs> it, it reminded me a lot of Jurassic Park in ways, but then it came out first. So it's like, and the, some of the noises that they used, I don't know if it was in this one or part two, were the raptor noises they used in Jurassic Park. Correct. That's two for sure. Okay. So I'm like, mm, but I feel like there's just a lot more action going on. It's kind of sillier. So I think for kids, it's more of a fun little, you know, there's there's not really a lot of time where it drags. The acting is so-so. I mean, it had a cute little love story. Yay. Well, like this movie is 83 minutes. Jurassic Park is over two hours. So if you're asking a kid to pay attention, eat. And I think that's one of the reasons why Tim and Lex are so heavily involved in Jurassic Park is to endear yourself to a target audience. Also for a parent or an adult, it puts them in peril, which is supposed to like elicit some kind of paternal or maternal instinct. Mm -hmm. I get all that. This movie doesn't deal with it. It just deals brevity is the soul of wit. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. Oh, here you go. You want to see your dinosaur? Here's your dinosaur. The cheapest, easiest, no ILM, just the work of one John Carl Buechler, who would go on to direct a later installation in this franchise. Yeah, he's sitting there like the birds from uh, the Flintstones saying, eh, it's a living. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Here's the thing. If you're, if you're Roger Corman, you don't do special effects. So you talking about other people's special effects, you're like, this is fine. Like, it's no personal attack. But if I'm the guy who does it and then I make the Eden formula where I reuse my own effects that weren't good in 93, man, that's not a good look. Well, I think they're just pumping them out. They're fine. Well, I mean, you got you got you got to kind of appreciate it. That's almost like the Ed Wood effect, where it's like it's like, all right, so I got this cut together and put like this, and then Roger Corman doesn't even look great. It's like it's like, all right, good cut, let's go. I was like, well, do you even want to see the footage that we did? No, I I think it's good. I think it's good. Let's go. So to Buchler's credit, I mean, the only things that he really directed, he did not direct an entirely huge amount of work. He did the original Troll, Friday the 13th Part Seven, Ghoulies Go to College. So if you look at his filmography, a tremendous amount of work in the makeup and effects and everything. So, you know, it's more quaint that he does this, but he does have like chops. And if you watch those movies, like it's kind of cute to see like how it's like a mosaic where it's like, how do we work around? We have these pieces of footage. How do we get to those pieces of footage? Right. So he creates a story around it, which I don't know, it's hackneyed, but it's kind of fun. It's I almost wish they leaned into it more like with some really shitty ADR where it's like, I have to put on this rain slicker now because meh, it's convenient. Well, just think about the movies he's directed. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like like Friday the 13th Part 7, no one really remembers the plot or anything. That They remember how Jason looked, yeah. and he designed that that outfit. Yeah. Uh, and then in Troll, you know what I mean? Like you get Troll singing. You get the kid from uh, Never Ending Story in there. Uh, you know what I mean? But you remember the monsters. It's like, I don't remember what the fucking plot was. Mm -hmm. And then Ghoulies Go to College. You just remember the. it's basically Ghoulies meets Animal House. Exactly. But in, can you tell me the plot? No, I just remember. You remember his stuff, but you don't remember the story or anything. Exactly. And like the story of this, that's one of the fresh, like Aid mentioned, the remainder of the series. So two and three, no mention at all. And then four and five. I mean, four is kind of a retread where it's like, oh, this is like what happened behind the scenes or like, like the other characters were doing at the same time. And then the last one just doesn't deal with anything. But you know, when it comes to the consequences of their actions and like the, the global threat and the like grotesque disease, that could really have made this movie like uh, or the franchise a hell of a lot better, I think. 
Well, you do get that predator like opening sequence with the chickens. I'm like, is this is this like an, a, a a PETA movie or is this a predator? So. Dino Vision. I'm surprised it wasn't advertised like smellovision, Vision, like crustaceous. Well, see, the problem was like watching this on tape on a 4K TV when it shows like the little green subtitles like on on the side to show you like where it's at or what it is. It, the green just is so blown out you can't even read it. It's like just squiggles. I'm like, I can't, can't make this shit out. So. Mm-mm. They're just telling me. I watched them all on my TV and it's like 75 inches, I think, in the living room. And so all of Humble them look like shit. Like I probably should have watched it on a smaller a phone, uh, my phone, but no a Motorola razor. I just wanted <laughs> exactly. I just wanted it on so I could like have it on, but it was, it was awful. I couldn't read the words. I feel like, like everything was really blurry. So I don't really know what anybody really looked like. Like I did recognize Clint Howard and, and the part two, I recognized Miguel Nunez because I love him. Yeah, those damn enchiladas. He, oh, he has a, a similarly amazing quote where he's hacking goes with the driest delivery I've ever heard. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> I was like, come on, fella. I know. Really? I know. Own it. Yeah, he's got to get in more stuff. Like, I don't know what he's been doing. He was in Leprechaun 4. I completely forgot. I watched that the other day. I'm like, oh, he's, he's in here too. Damn. I don't know. I, I, escaped my brain as well, Doug. But did, hey, did you think that two was just the shameless aliens ripoff that everybody else made it out to be? I guess I I mean, in a way it was. I actually liked part two better than the first one for some reason. And I wrote it down. So let's see what I said. <laughs> do, 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 yeah, do. I felt that no, that the storyline was a little bit easier to follow just because. It, and this is probably my fault because I was paying attention to it in and out. I was cleaning the house. I was cooking. I was doing this and that. But I just liked the idea of them being in that facility. I thought that was fun. It kind of just kept them more in one place instead of just the uh, the first one was like you're in they're in the diner they're in the tent they're in that lab they're here they're there I'm like what the fuck is going on and then Miguel Nunez is in it which I love him so much and it was really sad yeah. to see him go so quickly because I'm like he was like the best thing in the movie and then they have the kids in there to kind of well hold on he doesn't just go he boxes a dinosaur he does but the, and the, wow. the guy, there was somebody in a suit right or like <laughs> yes yes look at the legs the legs are the funniest shit when it comes to these like raptors and, the, and she's like what is happening here how how is this bending this doesn't it just looks like bloated and weird it makes you really appreciate jurassic park let me tell you now, see, imagine this. It's like some kid watches this movie for like a research paper. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're like in, in elementary school, they're like, yes, yeah, this raptor here, it goes in punching fights and it stands in the boxing ring like this. Yeah, and they impregnate women. So what's actually really funny is they accurately call it a Deinonychus, which is the dinosaur that it is. Velociraptor was smaller, had a lot of feathers, about the size of a coyote. Luckily, during filming of Jurassic Park, they found the Utah raptor, which was fucking huge but also covered in feathers. Deinonychus, a little bit different, very similar. And so I was like, holy shit, is this movie more accurate than Jurassic Park? Maybe it is, but they didn't have the big ass dinosaur. It's like the badonkadonksaur. Yeah, I'm all about, I'm going to make that badonkadonksaur. You know what I'm saying? All right, yeah. We'll make, name it after the next hurricane. Yep. And then it's going to have a giant shit. Oh, I, yeah, anyway, I have so many grotesque things I could say. But there was also some other dumb shit where that movie stole from James Cameron as well. The kid who hacks using like his little yeah. like card thing. I'm like, God damn it, John Connor. Why don't you take the kid from Salute Your Shorts and go to the Glendale Galleria? Oh, well, yeah, there's that. And then the one kid is this part. Yeah, part two is 
he's he's like the computer whiz, just like in Jurassic Park. He goes from completely catatonic to expertly hacking government security intel, like, Get out of my way. I can do this. Uh, tucka, tucka, tucka. And I just love that all the adults like just like let him do it because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And I'm like, how are all these people like so like stupid? <laughs> like, how do they not know anything or how to use the system or how to yeah. do anything? But the kid knows it. He knows it because he knows technology. And I feel like that sort of like plays into how, you know, things are today because, you know, I, I mean, how many of your parents like know how to do shit? Oh my god! Well, see, I, I didn't watch Carnosaur too, but when he's hacking the computer, he's doing the typical like just slamming his yeah. hands on the keyboard and. Yep, of course. Yeah, and he's like you know sitting back looking. It's like we got we got to enter the data mainframe, and like everything's so easy and accessible. And I'm like, oh, shut up! So you know, obviously that was cheesy, but it was cute. I thought it was more. It was clearer to me too on my screen than the first one, so maybe that's why I liked it better. I could see it better on the TV, so that was nice. Yeah, the first one I call high defecation. (laughs) Two is unique. It was meant to be released in theaters at the end of 94, ends up coming out early 95 because that all fell through. But it was intended to be a theatrical release. So it has a little bit higher quality than the others that come after it. And so it's this weird kind of like proof of like almost if you treat Carnosaur one as a proof of concept filming wise, a lot of it improves story gets really dumb. But, you know, aside from seeing the tape in the tail of the miniature helicopter that explodes, it was a, a pretty good romp all around. Oh, yeah. Like it fell and broke and then it took like And five then minutes. exploded. <laughs> yes. I, re- I recently watched the Scorpion King, right? And there's a scene where Brendan Frazier kills the scorpion monster. And then five seconds later, the fucking mummy guy runs in and he's like, no. And that five second delay is the best thing that's ever happened in cinema. And that's what this was like, where it's like crash one, Mississippi two, Mississippi three, Mississippi boom (laughs) makes you really miss tack of the killer tomatoes where people nearly died in their helicopter crash. Oh, that really happened. But all around, I think that it's good. If you take the story of one and the delivery of two, I think that's a very competent film because this movie in and of itself, if you take some of the beats, it really isn't that alieny you know they find the kid who's kind of catatonic they have the locker room scene and stuff you take those things out it's just your standard fare right uh we're spec ops people blah 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 they try to add some personality whatever but the story that that first story and also the fact that the first villain is a woman Mm -hmm. adrian you lack a y chromosome tell me what you feel about that well that was probably the only redeeming redeeming thing about part one because diane land does a really great job with this character like she was the only character that actually played someone that wasn't hokey i believed her i liked well i mean she was evil quote but i liked i liked her character and i liked what she did it just felt like out of place like why do we have this this really good you know actress playing this like this character that has you know all of this going on and then the rest of the movie is like meh so i felt like it was out of place like maybe she should have been hokey or something i don't know well she also had a projectile dino birthing scene oh yeah that was fun so that was like so that was more reminiscent of alien i think than the second one in that respect or humanoids from the deep if you've seen that because that birthing scene is very similar in the way that it's done yeah, I watched it after I listened to your episode. I was inspired, but I don't think I paid attention to it too much. But I didn't like the fact that the first one was, 
you know, this virus is targeting women. And now they're trying to think about like, oh, how are they going to create a new race of women and all this bullshit? And I'm just sitting here like this. This is like something that would actually happen, especially now. It's dark, right? Like there's, yeah. there's a yeah. lot going on there. When like, well, if we train them to be good women, we could make a new race of women like that. I know. Oh, uh, what? And think about how many, you know, small dicked men right now are so angry with the Me Too movement and everything and how much this resonates with them if they watched it. Like, that's what we need. This is what we need. And I was just sitting there like getting pissed off, you know me. So it's <laughs> like, there's all of these things going on in this movie, but it's, it just isn't like, I don't know. Like, it could have been really good if they had put more effort into it. Well, yes. I don't mind her in contrast. She suffers really because of the Ryan Reynolds template type character when it comes to Doc Smith, who's played by Raphael Sbarge. It just tonally doesn't work where he's like, I'm yucka, yucka, yucka. I'm holding a gun at you. And that whole scene is terrible because they're trying to make him likable as he's holding a woman at gunpoint because you don't ever actually see her do things that are evil. You see the effect of her work. So if she had done something where she shot a puppy in the beginning or something like that, we can establish that she's evil. All that we're dealing with is kind of, you know, the aftermath of some evil stuff. Yeah. So in terms of like visual representations of what they've done, you have a man holding a woman up at gunpoint. So she's kind of sympathetic. And then she shits out a dinosaur. Yeah. And he's always drunk, too. So like, how is he going to be the hero when he's always wasted? Like the entire movie, he's got his little flask, which I don't mind. I like to have a drink every now and again, as we know. But how are you like <laughs> saving the fucking day <laughs> with your flask? My favorite texts in the world are Adrian hungover as fuck on Sundays going like, I've, I hate editing and the world sucks. I'm never <laughs> talking again because I don't want to do this. These mimosas are making me thirsty. <laughs> Well, the hair a, of the dog that bit ya. But yeah, but I'm not trying to save the day or like hold anybody at gunpoint. So like, I don't know. I just thought that was so stupid. And then like, where did it come from that he liked the girl? Like that came out of there. I don't know. Oh, thrush. Can we talk about thrush? Uh, yeah, let's talk about thrush. How do you go from Anne to thrush? Come on now. <laughs> was that her last name or that was just her nickname? It's her nickname. It's okay. a type of bird. Well, I mean, that was kind of the big thing in the 90s. I remember, I don't remember, I don't know if it was Captain Planet. I think yes. it was Captain Planet. There was a girl that's like, Trish, what happened to you? My name's not Trish. My name's Trash. You know what yeah. I mean? When she turns bad. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like Linnea Quigley with her vagina plate from Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, see, that was the original Trash. But this yeah. girl in Captain Planet, she's like, I like to litter. My name isn't Trish anymore. Oh my God. It's Trash. I used to like glitter, but now I like litter ah oh hey we're getting mega millions writing for captain planet 2 when that comes out i know oh, with don Cheadle. Mm. we need that back but yeah i digress but I, I do have to give props to the first birthing scene because when i first watched it i was walking in and out i'm like oh shit like i'm like is this just bad gas or did dinosaur just shoot out of the pussy oh my god <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! And I had to rewind it because I was watching in like low quality VHS, so I had to like look and it's like, you know, it's like you had to get a little closer. But also, just to clarify, these are germs that get ladies pregnant with dinosaurs. That's what happens, right? I didn't miss anything. I assume that that's what they were getting at. Yes. So I'm gonna say this: COVID has been bad. It's killed over a half a million people, but at least it didn't impregnate anybody against their will well there is the delta strain 
Okay, but there are, have been a lot of COVID babies that came out of this. So technically, a lot of people... Mine was one. See, a lot of people got knocked up because there was nothing else to do. So technically, it was the cause. Yeah, that actually is a fair analysis. Mm-hmm. And my son does make pterodactyl noises when he's upset. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I need an old priest and a young priest, and I need to move on to Carnosaur 3. Blah, blah, whatever the primal species. Oh, my God damn it. Man, I missed out. I only watched the first one. You didn't miss anything, I promise. We're never going back to do these other ones. Let me tell you. Okay, well, well, it's fine. I've been so beat. Like, I don't even know what time it is half the time. So when I watched this one last time, I'm like, okay, I just got to watch this one. And then Carnage of Tooth. I'm like, fuck, I just didn't have enough time. Directed by Oprah Winfrey's child. Jonathan Winfrey, who's also not related to her in any way, shape, or form. But I really love the look on Aid's face where she was like, what? <laughs> I got really excited Fell for a for second. It. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, you get a carnosaur, he gets a carnosaur, <laughs> everyone gets a carnosaur. I, I have two notes on this entire fucking movie. It is terrible. There's two things. We know how much I love RoboCop. The crooked cop from RoboCop 2 who gets de-guzzarded Gizzarded by Kane, Stephen Lee. He's in this for a minute. And then there's a pencil neck who looks like Fisher Stevens. And I had to Google it. And in the course of me Googling it to see if the Fisher Stevens from Short Circuit was in this, the guy actually got a better camera angle. And I was like, oh, he doesn't look like him at all. Uh, But that's what mm. happens when you rip the VHS and put it on the Internet. Well, what's his name from Mad TV was in the end of part two and the beginning of this. Michael James McDonald. I'll have you know. Stuart. Look what I can do. Well, he was in a lot of like these 90s direct-to-video horror movies. I was scrolling through my notes, okay? I just knew I recognized Control him. Control F, motherfucker. It's faster. Yeah, speaking of him, he's in Leprechaun 2. Mm. So you remember he's the barista who gets his face melted on? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, whenever he pops up and stuff, I'm always like, I like him. Like, I, I just okay. want to root for him, even more so than Will Sasso, because he didn't bastardize the Three Stooges. Although that did result in him getting chokeslammed by Kane. <laughs> I thought he did good as Curly. I, I liked him. I never finished the movie. Every clip I watched, I was like, this is just tonally bad. Yeah, it's the fir- and the thing is, they ruined it, too, with at the end with Furry Boys. Like, these are all fake props. Kids, don't hit yourself with hammers. Like, no one's going to... We grew up watching Three Stooges. Were we whacking each other with hammers and chainsaws and stuff? Were you whacking oh, each gross. other? Oh, did I freeze? You did. No, I'm like, it, it, okay. it, it started, it ended with you going whack. And so I was like, are we waxing our carrots with hammers? Is that what you're going to say, Doug? And then it would turn no, out No, I'm retiring whacking. waxing the carrot. I, the, the carrot budget has gone up. <laughs> I just made a shirt for that. You can't retire it now. Oh, okay. Oh, I will retire it. I, yeah, my, I, my yeah. shirt, my shirt came in. I'll have to show you guys before, before we leave today. Oh, sweet. Well, no, I was just saying that it's like the, at the end of the Three Stooges movie, the Ferrelli brothers come out and they're like, oh, all right, this is a fake hammer. This is a fake wrench, fake chainsaw. Kids don't hit each other with this. I'm like, I was growing up watching Three Stooges. I wasn't whacking my brother with a with a wrench or a chainsaw or a sledgehammer. I wonder if that was for the MPAA, like to get a decent rating. You have to remember now, though, as the generations go on, their kids eating Tide Pods and whatnot. So mm. I think that they would. As a fair rebuttal. I mean, now, I don't know when that movie was made. I never saw it, so. Uh, it was officially 1,000 years ago. Uh, Raptor is the next in the franchise. It's terrible. Uh, it was 95 minutes. Directed, written, Jim Wynorski. This is the one that has the music by James Horner. 
and I have a few notes. Grant Kramer from Killer Clowns from Outer Space is in it. Boom. Shamelessly reuses footage. Boom. Terrible lighting where it's an indoor shot that clearly has sunlight, but it's supposed to be night. Boom. Boobs. Boom. Daughter becomes catatonic because of a dinosaur attack. And the mom plays her audio of the dinosaur screeching, which brings her out of her catatonic state, which I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. You're going to traumatize her again? Is it like a negative times a negative is a positive? That's stupid. And the best bit of dialogue in the film. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to get into character. Animal, vegetable, mineral. What? Are those things you've had up your ass? <laughs> the guy's trying to find out what the threat is. And if he has had them in his ass, God bless him. Braver than I. Well, so he can add being a mule to his, uh, to his resume. <laughs> Yes. Finally, we finished with the Eden formula, which was released in Australia, might as Tyrannosaurus Rex, but spilled like a car wreck. Yeah. Um, like in Mad Max, where the guy had a wreck and almost fucking died, isn't it? See, si, senor. <laughs> Great accent. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I watch a lot of Louie. So I watched the, the Eden formula, and it's just fucking terrible. It's so shitty and. There's a cute thing where they're using like a Bluetooth speaker and some dynamite to try and kill a dinosaur, but it's just so fucking bad. The best one in the series by a country mile is gotta be Carnosaur 1. It is very fun. It's very breezy to watch. You know, people oftentimes criticize Jurassic Park because I think you have 15 minutes of dinosaur or it's even 14 minutes of dinosaur footage in a two hour film. And then I think two minutes of that are like CGI. This doesn't have a much better ratio of filler movie to dinosaur, but at least the whole thing is over and done with. You could watch this like twice almost by the time you finish Jurassic Park once. Yeah, and it's it's campy too. Like the the, the hippies, they all chain themselves to the uh, construction equipment. That's a, such a great scene when they're just like, it's a buffet. Yeah, he, he's like, peace, my green brother. Yeah, why did the girl have her arms up? Like, what? Oh, because they were they were protesting the the construction site. Oh, but yeah, but she kind of like whatever. I'm glad it chewed her it leg off. It was her kink, man. Yeah, it's two birds, one stone. You get to protest and ejaculate. Well, that's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah, have you never been to Bar Sinister in Hollywood? You know it is. No, I haven't been to Hollywood. Don't remind me. I'm not cool like you guys. Oh, well, you'll see plenty of people. It still smells like piss. People have been indoors for a year. Why does it still smell like piss? You know, it's so funny. Anytime I watch anything that's set in Los Angeles, like I'm just sitting there and I hear Jake's voice in my head. It smells like pee. <laughs> no, I say piss every time because it's there's pee is nicer. Piss has a sourness to it where pee, piss is like you could scrape it up and get like a paste from the sidewalk. Okay. That's what L.A. is. Well, yeah. Well, to, to add now after like to the 2021 uh, refurbishing, now it smells like shit. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, but uh, no, and, and then the other thing too, going back to Carnosaur, this is the only time you ever get to see a full-fledged fight scene with with the with T-Rex and Tonka trucks, like little Tonka so miniatures. Cute. Yeah, no, it's great. So, you know, Roger Corman had a good time saying, well, let's go to the dollar store and see what I can find. Right? <laughs> what it also goes to, especially when it comes to Carnosaur too, they have kind of the similar thing and the, the whole idea of like Ripley being in the mech suit is what everybody's like, oh, see, it's the same fucking thing. Whatever, it's still fine and stupid, and I like it. I wish that there was a gorier effect that went along with it, but it's mm -hmm. harmless. The scene with the the sheriff's sidekick 
fighting the dinosaur and shooting it in the chest and getting disemboweled and everything. That's pretty fun. That's not bad. No, it's good. Yeah, this this has some good puppet munching scenes, like like the close-ups. You can see like it's just the person's hand inside the thing, just kind of chewing on the guts. Yeah, like when they're so. pulling off like limbs and stuff, you see all the, the juicy, fun, fun stuff with that. So that was fun. Like I liked that. Yeah, and if this was real life, you know, they could make it like uh, rewrite the history books. Like dinosaurs were extinct, so then they came back for a little bit, and then they were destroyed by caterpillar construction cars. Huh. And they're extinct again. <laughs> that would be such a great global pandemic event. Or a mass extinction event, rather. Mm. Hey, do you remember when the lady gets killed in two when she gets her arm ripped off and her tummy eaten yeah, a bunch? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. They specifically redress another character to have that outfit in Raptor, and then they just shamelessly use it, even though her face doesn't match. This lady's much taller than that lady. It is so shameful and hilarious, but I wonder if people would ever have noticed it if they hadn't watched them in immediate succession like I did. Now, question for you. Those two, like the Eden formula, was that put out by Roger Corman or was that the Asylum that did that? Because I know the Asylum is notorious for doing stuff like that. So it, it is at least co-produced by Corman. Let me double check. So Yeah, because I saw his name on like all the credits, but then yeah. I saw that when for I was Raptor looking stuff up, like he wasn't really on anything with part two. So I don't know. If you give me $10. Yeah, so that went to his produce, his production partner from the first one. Then he came back for three. Yeah. He also did the Raptor. And then I'm looking at Eden Formula now. I'm looking at my notes, but to save time, I did a control F, which means I know near immediately that he did not produce it. It was Peter Davey and Debbie Chen. So shame on you. Well, I don't want anyone hearing my key clicks on my microphone. So there. Maybe you should work on your fingering technique, typing technique. I don't think I need to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, not to shame anybody, cosmetic surgery, if that's your thing, fine. But it's very, very weird in the Raptor when Eric Roberts' daughter is like this innocent, like, oh, daddy, I don't understand things. Like, words are hard. And then she immediately is getting raw dogged with her fate tits out. You're like, oh, (laughs) but hey, you know, he's still daddy's little girl because he like smooches her a bunch. That was the Jim Wynorski one, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I was going to say, Jim Wynorski, you're going to get everything. Bad lighting, big boobs, and the beast. Yes. Somehow. <laughs> the love interest of Eric Roberts is very breasted, and she ends up in her underwear. But there's more plasticine in that one young lady's chest than the entire T-Rex mold, which is amazing. Silicone isn't cheap. <laughs> in fact, the T-Rex sprung a leak, so at one point, they just had to... <laughs> Out of her. Oh my God. Wait, mind if we borrow some of this shit for a good cause? Hey, you seem a little distressed. Do you not have a yes and to build off of Titty Cock? No, I will. So sometimes I get mad when I'm watching like girls with fake boobs and like one nipple's going this way and one's going this way. Like you are showing your tits off on screen. Like, couldn't you have found a surgeon to keep your boobs straight? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, where did you do Fly to Tijuana? What? The implants themselves, why is it basically a whoopee cushion in shape? I'm not a plastic. I don't know. But couldn't we work on a more dome shape so that you don't get the the trench in between with the rib cage on these more skeletal women? You're not supposed to have that. That's bad surgery. It's haunting. Don't you watch Dr. Dubro? You don't watch Botched? Dr. Dude Bro? Dr. Dubro. They're in California. Botched. 
He does the boobs. The only doctor who I follow from California is Pimple Popper. Oh, I love her too. I literally will get lost watching that for hours. But anyways, no, like you're not supposed to have like that separation. Like that's a bad boob job. Yeah. It's supposed to be like natural boobs and I'm not showing anybody mine, but they're supposed to be a certain way. And then there's some surgeons who like the the skin will come out and then they have a uniboob and they show that on botch. And it's so cool because he's got to like take everything out and like figure out how to sew it back. Wait, it, it like droops into one it's, boob? It's one fucking boob because the skin uh, comes out. Yeah, I know. Isn't that exciting? Uh, I do look at botched surgeries on Reddit quite a bit and I've seen like boob implants in butts and butt implants in boobs and collagen mishaps, but I have not seen the uniboob. Yeah, they have that all the time on Botched. You need to watch it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's this one time too. I don't know. Fake boobs don't do it for me. I remember this uh, this one. Uh, I won't say names, but this one girl, she's like, here, try them out. And I touched them and it's not, you ever rubbed a balloon? It's like, eh. it makes that stretch. And it's like, eh, okay, it's, it's nice and everything. But uh, well, see, that's a bad surgeon though, because my one of my girlfriends has really good ones. Like they look real and they feel real, right? So like, that's like a good surgery. So if they feel like balloons, then again, somebody flew to Tijuana. Because they wanted to save what? What did you say? Two fifty. <laughs> so. You inadvertently reminded me of the ladies' man. They look and feel plastic, but they smell real. <laughs> That's one of the best movies of all time. I cannot. Anyway, so I feel like now is as good a time as any. I don't know that we're gonna top titty talk which should be a new segment on the show. Uh, I'm going to cut over to our good friend, Tony Campagna, who's the Dino Geek. You can follow him on Instagram at the Dino Geek or at the Dino Geeks Collection. And you can see he has the biggest collection that's recorded. He talks about like recording it with Guinness and it kind of being a problem with its categorization. So that's why he started the second account. So he's doing both at the same time. But seriously, one of the sweetest guys. For those of you who don't know, I recorded some of these interviews like two months ago because I'm so excited about dinosaurs and it's been a lifelong passion, one of my oldest obsessions. And since I recorded this, Tony and I have still talked basically every day. We're tagging each other and shit on Instagram. We're sending each other stuff. He literally sent me a care package. I did the same to him. Uh, uh, just a delightful man. Enjoy my interview with the Dino Geek. So this is Slashers, at least the interview portion. I'm still not entirely sure how to introduce. My name is Jake, and with me for the first time is Tony Campagna. Are you happy? I actually did the research to make sure that my Italian pronunciation was true and correct. That is fantastic. What's funny is that you worked that hard on it when it's been in this country long enough, we've slaughtered it, and it's Compagna. We don't even pronounce it properly ourselves. So kudos to you for doing what my whole family hasn't done for many generations. You mentioned that in your book, which trust me, we'll get into. And I had thought that my instincts were Campania, but I just had to be sure. So I double checked and I gave some really low level YouTuber like his 565th view on this video. So I got to help two people. I'm very, you know, I'm not saying I'm Mother Teresa, but I'm not far from it. I'm Mother Teresa adjacent, if you will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you are a teacher, an educator, and a voracious collector of all things paleo. Do you want to talk? Let's start with your book. That's a great launching off point, right? Absolutely. The book, which, by the way, I finally finished after three or four years of, of piddling around with it, is available to anybody for free. So follow a link on my social media at the Dino Geek and go to Why Dinosaurs. You can download your own free copy. But it in about 80 pages tells you, you know, how I got into my love of dinosaurs and how I've managed to collect all this. You know, it's pretty well known that teachers don't make a whole gob of money. So 
some people may wonder how in the world I have, you know, over 6,000 items here in my house. And I explain all that and, and people find out, you know, you can, you can do as much or as little as you want to with this hobby. And the great thing about it, as I guess evidenced by my collection, is that, you know, dinosaurs are in everything and everywhere. So people can specialize in buying just dinosaur clothing or cups or plates or the toys or the models or the books or the movies. There's just a ton of stuff out there. But, you know, when, when you approached me about this interview talking about dinosaurs being scary or which ones are the scariest, uh, and this is something I share in, in my book, that all comes from a really early age of things being scary. I first loved trains as a kid. And I mean, just absolutely loved trains. I, I grew up near a, a major intersection or hub of the, of the railroad in Rock Island, Illinois. And there were trains all the time. And they were just, you know, when they went by, they rumbled and they roared in the horn. And it was just, you know, this, this magnificent metal beast. But thank goodness it had to stay on a track. You know, yeah. you've never seen a movie or a movie where trains, you know, get up off the track and run you down in the street or, you know, up an elevator or, you know, whatever. And then when I went to kindergarten in about 1975, that tells you how old I am. The kindergarten teacher told us about dinosaurs. And then there were these animals I'd never heard about. They were like as big as freaking trains. And they didn't have to stay on a track. They could go wherever they wanted. I mean, how amazing and awesome and fearful is that that these giant toothy multi-ton creatures could just get up and go wherever they wanted and nothing was going to get in their way oh not at all yeah that hooked me i've been hooked ever since i have not had a lull period where i was turned off by them and then all of a sudden jurassic park reignited my my passion or something it's just always been dinosaurs so yeah i'm right there with you and especially i don't think people give due credence to like let's say argentinosaurus this huge thing that might have flat teeth but honestly, if it just takes one misstep, you're squished. It doesn't even have to be malicious, right? Absolutely. And it wouldn't even know that it stepped on you. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the crazy thing. It's just living life and no telling how many different you know creatures that eventually got rubbed off the pad of its feet as it just lived every day without even knowing what it had done. Exactly. And so, as you mentioned, the book's available, whydinosaurs.com forward slash the Dino Geek. And I can attest that I did the... You, the free download didn't get any viruses haven't gotten any spam so thank you for that i appreciate it and in it you have just a wonderful collection of these great pictures of your collection you have over six thousand pieces at this point do you keep like a catalog of each piece just for posterity's sake well that's a good question several years ago it has suggested to me that I ought to apply to the Guinness Book of World Records with my collection. There are some other collectors out there who I know have very large collections, but I also know that they are not as fortunate as I am. I have a wonderful wife who has allowed me to take over two rooms of our house and put all this stuff out on display, which people see in my social media account on Instagram at the Dino Geek. But as I was getting ready to document everything, as you have to do for a, a Guinness Book of World Records record, uh, you have to have a picture inventory. You've got to have everything detailed, so on and so forth. And I thought, well, if I'm going to take the pictures, why don't I just start a second Instagram account, which is at the Dino Geeks Collection. And nearly every piece I have that is on open display, that means that if you came to my house, I could point to every one of those things you see out in the open. There are approximately 6,000 pieces. I know there will be before this, this year is over, for sure. Probably before the month is over, actually, because I'm just that crazy of a, a collector, I suppose, a dino addict. But yeah, I, I have a record because, like I said, I was 
doing what I needed to do to obtain the Guinness Book of World Records record. They approved my application. But anybody who's never applied for one of those records would be surprised at everything you have to do. And some of the requirements were just too much that I, I don't have the ability to do everything they want me to do to get that record. So I just kind of felt like if I put it all out there and anybody wants to challenge me, then, you know, show me your picture of 6,000 and I'll back down and say that I don't have the world's largest collection. I think that's awesome. That's letting it speak for itself. And one of the things I find so fascinating about your collection is it spans all media, like you were saying, if you're into anything. One of my favorites was, it wouldn't have occurred to me off the top of my head, but you have the Funko of Edward Scissorhands with the T-Rex hedge. I mean, that's how extensive it is and how diverse. It's not one note at all, which is amazing. Do you purposefully kind of look for some of the stuff that's a little bit, you know, dinosaur adjacent so that you can kind of make sure it's broad and engaging to everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that that's me too. I think one of the things that's so interesting, and this is one of the things I think the Tony and James Pinto are doing so well in their upcoming documentary, Why Dinosaurs, you know, they ask the question, why are people so fascinated? And I think it has to be because dinosaurs have infiltrated every single source of media and product that somebody could ever use. If I was to do a list A through Z, I'm sure I have something for every letter of the alphabet. I mean, you know, there's dinosaurs on plates, there's zipper pulls, there's eating utensils, there's clothing, there's, you know, backpacks, there's books, there's xylophones i mean every, yes i have a dinosaur xylophone in my collection i sure do that's amazing yes that was kind of hard to get but i have one but it's just they're they're everywhere i mean they're inescapable if you go to walmart and you walk through you know the young kids section or the baby section i mean how many clothes have the dinosaurs on them you know they're just they're everywhere uh, if you watch any kind of commercial that shows a a family, if there's a young boy in it, that's still so sexist that they only do this with the boys still in 2020, 2021. Dude, drives me crazy. There's always a dinosaur toy somewhere in the scene, you know, to emphasize this is a boy's boy, you know, this is, you know. Yep. My daughter and I, we did the Jurassic Quest, and of course they referred to her as a boy, which, I mean, it's it's frustrating only insofar as you're saying that a girl couldn't, and you're presuming that this child with long hair and a feminine voice at a dinosaur thing has to just be a boy. It's like, it's barbaric. It is. It's, it's terrible. Matter of fact, in my book, it's one of the things I pointed out, like when you're searching social media sites like Macari or eBay or Facebook Marketplace or whatever, one of the best ways to search for dinosaur toys is to search for boys' toys. Yeah. And you'll find lots that have dinosaurs and dinosaurs robots trains and cars and it's still perpetuated uh you know in a day and age when we're you know almost to the point of maybe becoming hypersensitive to not offend anybody of any gender or persuasion we still do this with with toys and with these animals which are not just toys i mean we're talking about a field of science and whatnot and still but one of the great things about social media too maybe this is chasing a rabbit down another track but more and more there is a a women's presence, a female presence, a non-gender, this is for everybody presence, I think, on social media saying, you know, dinosaurs are for everybody. And look at all the people who are doing it. It's not just guys. But I think I, I think I got on the soapbox there. So No, I completely agree. And this is something you and I had briefly talked about before, like, you know, me and the horror spectrum. A horror, it can be incredibly exclusionary, even if people are not consciously exclusionary. And that's the thing that I think we try and talk about on Slashers, especially you know, my co-host Adrian. It's not, you know, even if you aren't aware of it, if you're just complicit in it, 
it's just going to be perpetuating. If you're not actively trying to incorporate people and be inclusive, you're just going to keep having this division with something that you obviously want to share your collection. You want to share this experience. You want to connect with people. And if you aren't taking active steps to connect with young women, there will always be that divide. And I don't think that that's fair. And it's, it's really frustrating to see it, especially, like you said, you're a parent as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, and despite my best efforts, I brought my daughter home 26 years ago to a dinosaur nursery, but it just didn't take. Yeah, But, no. but I tried. <laughs> I tried. Yes. So far, I've lucked out. My daughter's been into all sorts of stuff that I like. She, you know, she loves dinosaurs. She loves monsters. She loves all this stuff. And I'm just waiting for the day she uses all that and manipulates me into spending thousands of dollars. And I'm like, huh, well, maybe we should just take this very cheap and inexpensive Barbie instead. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Or customize that Barbie, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I got to ask you. Now, I find that when it comes to dinosaur toys, I either like super, ultra, mega, completely correct, true and accurate representations, or I like stuff that's completely inane. Like I saw that you had Robert Kirkman's Super Dinosaur. Where do you fall? Are you just an appreciator of all or do you have a sub niche in your collection that you appreciate more than others? Well, I do do the, uh, you know, A to Z, top to bottom, you know, goofiest, weirdest, doesn't make any sense to the you know, what we, you know, in print or in quotes, you know, scientifically accurate, which if you talk to any real paleontologist will tell you there's probably, you know, half a dozen things wrong with each and every one of those. But oh yeah, I kind of run the gamut. But but as far as like a, a specific fondness in all of this, I, I don't know how anybody doesn't just escape their childhood bias. You know, I, those 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 imperial dinosaurs we had that were one piece. Oh, yes. nothing moved. The mouth was in a permanently open roar. Even the herbivores had sharp teeth because they were all these monsters, you know. They yep. weren't being cranked out by any particular museum. They weren't cranked out by any particular, you know, naturalist slash paleo artist. We didn't call people paleo artists back then. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a term that has come about since my childhood. But those just plain, wide open mouth that you poured sand down and made them yes. throw it back up or water or I did that. tried to cram army men down in there. And then your dad yep. would have to get the needle nose pliers and pull them out because you got them stuck. Those, those are my favorites. You know, those are the ones I grew up with. Those were the ones I got most excited as a kid, because as a kid, you're not in control of buying or obtaining the things that you want. They're, they have to be gifts. So when those are given to you, you know, I have you know, it's funny. My wife asks if I have a story for every toy in here. And at one point, I'm sure I did. But as I get closer to the half century mark, I'm not remembering all those stories. But those definitely, you know, toys that I got from my grandparents and from my parents who supported, you know, my my addiction. Yeah, those those are definitely my favorites. I got to say, I'm right there with you. I used to do the. You know, I loved having broken G.I. Joe's. I talked about it once on the show that I got a creepy crawler set. I got to borrow it for a weekend from my friend. And so I made all these like fake bloody nubs and stuff on them. And I had one that was specifically half. And I had my green and yellow T-Rex, the Imperial one, shoved it in the mouth and had like entrail goop coming out of it. And I'm just obviously a goon, but I love the Imperial ones. The, the sense of like wonder. And those things are durable as an MF. Am I right? Yes. Yes. That's the thing, too. They stand the test of time. If you know, if you've got the patience and the money, you can always find those things. And they're still they look just about the way they did when they came out. I mean, you know, many a sibling was beat very well with with uh, <laughs> with some of those 
And, you know, and so was the ground pounded, you know, those were the toys that we buried in the sandbox and found later they got left in the yard and, you know, run over with this, that, or the other. And yeah, they still, they still stand up to it. You know, I love the stuff, you know, especially like the, the Jurassic world line that Mattel's putting out these really great detailed figures and stuff, but there's no way you could play with those like we did when we were kids. Oh, not at all. My daughter has a couple of the Camp Cretaceous, little, like she has the Parasaurolophus, and you can, you know, make it chomp and it closes its mouth spring loaded, but that thing is as delicate as delicate can be. Like, I'm afraid if she drops it on our tile, it's just going to shatter. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny with you just now saying that something that's dawned on me, and I hadn't thought about this till right now. It's kind of weird, but, you know, those toys that we're talking about, those childhood favorites of ours. You know, we play with those in the tub and everything else. Yeah. You know, I, I like the electronics. I like batteries, except when you know, you're going to put them on the shelf, you got to make sure you gut them so that doesn't become a problem later. Oh, yeah. But yeah, those, those ones we're talking about, I mean, you threw them in your overnight bag to go to grandma's. If you left them outside in the weather, they were fine until you picked them up again. You could, like I say, in the tub. I don't know how many times I had mine, you know, regurgitate bubble bath, you know, and, and, you know, they, they stood the test of time. They were, I mean, they're great. They're still great. So yeah, if it's not clear, I have a bias towards those older <laughs> Imperial toys and stuff from the, you know, seventies. So. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, as far as I guess more modern ones, which has continued since my youth kind of into the new youth, I am such a sucker for the dino damage Jurassic Park stuff where like you could flay some of the skin off and see the bones oh, yeah. and everything. Because I remember, like, I, yeah. was, I was into dinosaurs past the point of it being acceptable, where I was like a teenager, and be like, what's up, guys? Did you, did you see the new Spinosaurus development? And so that stuff, like, <laughs> the kind of, like, kitschy, gory stuff helped it be a little bit more adult and masculine, so I didn't look like such a dork. But, I mean, also, I mean, horror, who could ask for anything more? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now, in terms of electronics, you also have a ton of those. I saw you had a Spinosaur remote control, which I don't know if you've seen the studies that have come out since 2020. That tale is not accurate, girlfriend. But do you have a favorite electronic toy that you've you know collected over the years? Oh, absolutely. It's funny. This ties into something we talked about earlier about how the commercials, if they show you know a family or something and the boy, or if there's a boy in the house, there's always that stray dinosaur on the kitchen table or the living room couch or on the stairs or there was some commercial, and for the life of me, I don't know what the commercial was about, but in the background was one of these large, a small child can ride on it, Coda, electronic triceratops. Oh, yeah. You know, the great big green one with the huge head, the eyes that blink, the head tilts, it roars, it had a fabric leaf you could put in its mouth and it would munch. I think it may even be a little flatulent at times or it burps, I can't remember which. And kids can like ride that one, right? Yes, yes. The, the legs actually have some springs in them, and if you're under a certain weight, it's okay. There's a small handlebar behind the frill on the back of the spine or where the spine would be. We, My wife and I were watching TV. She saw the commercial, and she said, hey, you don't have one of those, do you? And there was one in the background. Now, this was years after they had come out. Yeah. This was years after they had come out, so it was kind of odd to see sort of a retro dinosaur in the commercial, sort of. And she said, you don't have one of those. She said, why don't you? Because she's very aware of what I have and I don't have. And I said, well, dear, I said, when those came out, I think they were about $300, $350. That's why your husband doesn't have one. Seriously, that's a car payment. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, well, oh, okay, I understand. And then not a week or two later, she was on Facebook Marketplace. And someone about an hour and a half from here was selling one in pristine, pristine condition for 40 bucks. What? 
yes. And she's like, do you want it? And I was like, do you not know me? Yeah, right. Let's go. The one time that all of the like devices surveilling you at all times has paid off, right? Yes, yes. And so we, we had to borrow her mother's car because it was a, an SUV. We needed a big enough space to load this small calf-sized dinosaur into the car. And when we went to pick it up, uh, it was some very well-to-do older couple who had bought it for a very spoiled grandchild who rode it twice and decided he was done with it. Oh, bah humbug on that kid. They well, good for me though. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they said you know we just we don't want to give it away, but we don't you know we don't want to charge you full price. So yeah, for forty bucks we loaded it up. And when I was teaching elementary school uh, out there in the world, as everybody thinks of you know public school, uh, I always had dinosaurs all over my classroom. And when I brought that in teaching you know fourth and fifth grade and whatnot, my kids absolutely adored that dinosaur. They changed the name from Coda to Ivy. Huh. Every so often, we'd have to turn her on and let her sing and growl and talk and burp and you know, you know, and they'd pet it just like it was a real animal and you know, they loved it. And then when the batteries finally gave out and I had to recharge or change them, that thing takes about thirty C batteries or something. Oh, geez, Louise! It's an investment to charge that thing back up, and it is all batteries. It's not a rechargeable situation. You probably spent more on batteries than the whole thing itself. Yes. So she sits silently now <laughs> in a corner that guards all of the, the plush that I've allowed myself to, accommod- to uh, accumulate. But uh, yeah, Coda, the great big riding Triceratops by, I think, Hasbro. Yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite, biggest, and, and most wonderful electronic dinosaur. And we had kind of talked about this. It's in your book that you like to kind of be a paleo expert in terms of getting things secondhand, almost like you're excavating them for a second time. Can you kind of talk about the thrill of the thrift and the hunt. Oh, yeah, that that is definitely the best part for me. I have, throughout my life, lived in areas where there really aren't any dinosaur possibilities. I mean, I can't go out and find them. I lived in northern Illinois. There's no Jurassic, Cretaceous, rocks, Triassic in that area for me to ever really go look for dinosaurs. I did have wonderful parents who would take us out west on family vacations. I mean, I got to go to Dinosaur National Monument and the City of Dinosaur and all those different museums and things like that as a kid. We went to the Chicago Field Museum one time as as a child, and all of that was great, but there was no place really to fossil hunt like that. And then I moved to Arkansas, which has very, very few Cretaceous spots, and I was not anywhere near any possibility of going to any place like that and trying to look for dinosaurs myself. I went and moved out next to, you know, not far from Salem, Massachusetts as a young adult. No chance there. Came back to Arkansas, where I've been now for over 30 years and or, or about 30 years. And again, I'm in southeast Arkansas. I'm in farm country in the Delta. There's no Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous rocks here. So if I want to be a quote unquote paleontologist and look for dinosaurs, the real thing is just not a possibility. So my digs, my hunts are, yes, for the plastic, the glass, the ceramic, the paper, all the different forms dinosaurs come in now. And I just don't know that it's any less exciting. You know, when, you, when you're going through a huge flea market stall after stall and you don't see anything and you don't see anything, and you, you kind of start to get tired. And then there's some little box sitting on the floor in the corner and you see maybe a, a part of a Barbie sticking out or a Ninja Turtle or something. And you go, well, 
Yeah, it could be. And you yeah. go and you take a look and you start digging through the pile and Eureka, here's this, you know, you know, an Imperial or here's a, uh, you know, a, a first line 1993 Jurassic Park Kenner or something, or better yet, maybe you find that rare 1950s, 1960s metal dinosaur or, or something from Sinclair, you know, from the early days. And, you know, there, there have been times when my wife would go hunting with me where, She's kind of had to calm me down a little bit. You know, you just get too excited and you're trying to keep a poker face as you go to the the counter because you hope nobody decides that, oh, maybe we should charge more for that or, you know. But, I mean, that's that's the thing because you never know what you're going to find. You know, uh, like you said, my book, one of the reasons I wrote it was trying to explain that sometimes I guess I kind of do that Calvin and Hobbes thing where Calvin could just kind of disappear into his imagination and I just kind of feel like I'm, you know, I'm walking through the badlands, you know, I'm going out there to find what's come to the surface, you know, because the earth is constantly changing for paleontologists out there looking for the real thing. Stuff comes and goes in these flea markets and secondhand stores. And, and you just never know what's going to happen to think that you're there at the right time that that came up. And now you can put your hands on it and bring it back. It's got to be the closest parallel to doing the real thing that, that could be out there. And I just... I just love it. And it's kind of cool because your imagination gets to run wild because that's one of the things that I've always found so fascinating about fossils is like the life behind it, right? Not to get too like mystical or whatever, kind of like talking about yokai or something, but, you know, it's kind of exciting to like pick up something, go, this has been through, like, this has been lived in, like this has been experienced, this has been thrown at a cat and then celebrated on its best days. I mean, there's so much to imagine and extrapolate with. I mean, it kind of has like a living essence, right? Not to be too hippy-dippy. No, absolutely. Matter of fact, I think one thing that might set me apart a little bit in my collecting is that most of my stuff is secondhand, or at least at one time, most of my collection was. The longer I'm on social media, the more wonderful and generous strangers all are just left and right sending me things that tend to be newer and, and come into my collection. And somehow I got swept up in the whole Jurassic World tsunami of excellent toys there for a while and i was buying lots of new but i love the previously loved toys and books there is something wonderful to imagine when you get that scuffed up let's just stay with imperial you get that scuffed up imperial wreck and you think about how you played with yours and how i played with mine and you think this was truly loved by some kid this was fun this you know, terrorized, like you said, the cat or the dog or mom or the little sister or, you know, or it ate G.I. Joe or or chewed on Barbies or whatever it did. And there's just, you know, there's a story. And, you know, the older the toy gets, the better. You know, I've got some of these Cellrite gift where these these all metal little dinosaurs that were made in like the 1960s or or earlier. And, you know, they're a solid one piece thing. Uh, Most of the time you find them not broken and you're thinking, how many hands, how many households, how many generations maybe did this get passed around? And now, of all places, it's here, you know? So, yeah, there's definitely kind of that, for lack of a better word, you know, hippy-dippy, mystical kind of, there's sort of like a reverence that comes with it. Yeah, actually, that's really true. It's not sterile. Right. It's not It's not to get too weird about it, but you almost feel like a certain amount of honor to have some of these older pieces that you find, knowing that it just as easily could have never come in front of me as it is here now. And now I get to be the caretaker. Now it gets to be here and I I can enjoy it. And thank goodness with social media, thank goodness with social media, we can share our collections and our passions now. 
Yeah. I mean, how many of you guys, you know, fellow listeners and, and collectors built wonderful collections all these years, but unless you went to conventions or had that one magazine that came out, somebody was making it home, you couldn't connect with other people and share what you got going on. So, yeah. It becomes very isolating instead of like conjoining, right? Like you're hiding in your hobby as opposed to sharing it and experiencing it with like-minded people. Yes, absolutely. Now, I've kept you a little bit beyond our time, but I got to ask, is there one dinosaur that uh, makes you shiver in your skivvies more than any other? Okay, so to say if I could see a live dinosaur, which one would probably shake me up the most? Exactly. And it's only one. I'm not going to do I'm not doing this whole pack hunting nonsense mumbo jumbo. It's it's one on one. Okay. I I really thought about that. And that's almost as hard a question to answer as what's your favorite. But I think the thing that really would haunt my dreams if I thought about it longer than I have to answer this question is, is the carnivores something like a T-Rex. Yep. Whether it's ever proven to be a scavenger or a predator, I think that is going to be my biggest, scariest dinosaur like that and if there's one bigger if they decide that spinosaurus is bigger or carcarodontosaurus or giganotosaurus or whatever is bigger fine but here's here's the reason why to me i think that would be the most frightful because you know down here in southeast arkansas occasionally it makes the news when somebody sees an alligator in our area yeah i have a friend a couple miles from here a baby alligator ended up in their pond behind the house they don't know how it got there but not far from here not far from here is the Louisiana border, and nobody has a problem imagining alligators down Louisiana and the bios and the backwaters and what have you. You know, and you go out on a swamp boat and you look at alligators. You can go out at night and see their eyes, you know, glowing in the in the in your headlamp or whatever. You can go fishing and you'll see one sitting over on a bank sunning itself. But nobody freaks out because you know if you keep a healthy distance and you don't provoke it, it's going to stay where it is. Exactly. But now imagine, now imagine you go on that same trip with that same amount of confidence and you see a large alligator come up near the shore where you're standing. You back up a little bit to keep that healthy distance and respect. And it gets up on its hind legs and walks towards you in no hurry. Nope. Because where are you going to go? I imagine T-Rex would be like that. If we traveled in time and were able to suddenly pop out and see a Rex, he catches your scent with that incredible olfactory lobe, with that ability to smell anything and everything. Yeah, and the, the very intense eyes, exactly. Absolutely. And and just to think of it turned on you and started coming. It doesn't have to run at you. Nope. It doesn't have to charge you. It's like the you know, the T whatever, the one that was all metal. Pardon me for not knowing right off the top. T one thousand. Yeah. I mean the thing never had to be in a hurry. That was the scariest thing about the Terminator was no matter where you ran or where you went, it just kept coming. T Rex. This huge animal with these huge teeth on two legs is going to get you sooner or later. And I can't imagine how freaking scary it would be seeing that come in on you. Its eyes are locked in on you with that binocular vision. And, you know, it's almost like you have to wonder for a minute, what's the point of running? Yeah, exactly. That would that would have to be just incredibly, you know, a change your pants moment. Well, I love when people get all cocksure. They're like, yeah, I could take a raptor or whatever. I'm like, dude, you're afraid of coyotes. Now, a raptor is a coyote. You know, if you get to like Utah raptor or Dimetrodon or, or what have you, especially the stuff that, uh-huh. you know, the Jurassic Park ones, that's that's not a raptor. You would die from a real raptor, much less that gigantic, massive thing. And so just like you, I mean, I still, every time I go to a zoo or, or any kind of nature thing, if there's an alligator or a crocodile, I just stare at it. And I don't care if it's not moving. 
my imagination does all the moving because it's just amazing to think that we are so feeble and squishy by comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like that great far side cartoon Larson did, you know, a million years ago where the, the two crocs are laying on their backs on the on the shore along a river where there's a wrecked kayak and some torn up clothes. And they're like, man, that was great. No horns, no hooves, no claws, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just fam. What chance would we have? Seriously, they barely so, have to pop the top off the can. Exactly. Yeah. Bam, out of the can even. Yeah. So uh, and it's just amazing because, I mean, it could just care less. You know, it would just keep coming. And yeah, I can't imagine. But, you know, if you think about it long enough, and you may need to cut this off where, but I mean, even you think about any kind of movie where there's a stampede of, you know, like the Tarzan movie with, with, with the stampede of wildebeest at the end, or yeah. if you have the cattle stampede, you know, if you got a herd of pissed off triceratops, you know, Dude. or like Peter Jackson's Kong, where you're in the wrong spot while a bunch of sauropods are stampeding, or even if they're just moving ahead and you can't get up from underfoot. I would imagine almost every dinosaur in some way probably be pretty freaking scary, you know, because, you know, we wouldn't know, is this one going to bite me or not bite me? Is its friends going to move in? Is it in a group? Is it by itself? Is it poisonous? Is it not? I know when people are afraid of things as small as spiders, which I don't get. Not at all. So you could you could be scared of anything, but yeah, when you've got a big toothy Terminator that weighs several tons and doesn't have an emotional thought in its mind, you can't appease it. You can't appeal to its better side. Right. Yeah. But please, I have a family. It's like, what's a family? <laughs> yeah. Hey, bring them over. I'm Seriously. hungry. Yeah. Make it an all-you-can-eat yeah. buffet. But like, if I could say one thing to our audience, like, let your imagination run wild this month on Slashers because that's the most fun about dinosaurs. Like, my my imagination is is such with dinosaurs that I remember finding out that Therizinosaurus what ate vegetables. I audibly breathed a sigh of relief, and it's been extinct for millions of years. So do that. Be excited. Yeah. Tony, where can my f- friends and followers support you and your collection? The best places to go are Instagram. You can follow my account as the collection build at the Dino Geek, all one word. Or if you want to see the entire collection as documented thus far, all nearly 6,000 pieces, you can see all of them one by one with information related such as date, manufacturer, and all that. You can find that at the Dino Geek collection, all one word. If you are an avid collector who wants to meet more collectors and share and trade and sweat and, and swap and share stories of what you found, then come over to uh, Facebook and join the group I started several years ago called Plastic Paleontology, and you will be in the most drama-free, friendly, wonderful place of people who will support you and enable you as much as you want. I have to, I have to throw a little bit of shade, though. Plastic Paleontology, the threshold to get in is they're going to ask you what your favorite dinosaur is. And so if you have a hard time like I do, just give up now because I seriously sat and stared at my screen for five minutes before I came up with a sassy response. (laughs) It's fine. Just as long as you answer the question, you'll be fine. It's crazy how many people will not answer that one question, and I will not let you in if you can't take the time to tell me at least one thing about yourself. (laughs) Honestly, bots are pervasive. It's getting to the point where it's just you have to have those thresholds. You have to have rules and stuff. Otherwise, it's just going to be porn and people trying to you know send you insurance scam information it's gross yeah and i and i will tell you and it's been a compliment from people and i really appreciate it mind you i think we're at like 1.6k members we're not a huge group but 
honestly, one of the things people enjoy the most in that group, Plastic Paleontology on Facebook is you don't get all the ads. You don't get all the crap. You don't get drama. You don't get trolls. That is my group I started. That is my playroom. You're invited if you want to come. And if you can't play right, I will shut you down. I will shut you out because the rest of us are there to share and enjoy and build our passions. We're not there to put up with petty stuff. So if that isn't a stellar endorsement for it, I don't know what is because I don't think that there's anything better than a drama free zone. So Tony, if you ever have anything to promote, I would love to invite you to come back, especially as the documentary you referred to is coming out. You know, thank you for making yourself available. I really enjoyed this. My imagination's been running rampant all day since we talked about setting this up. And so thanks for letting me uh, run around with dinosaurs in my brain all day. Absolutely. And just the last note, the Why Dinosaurs documentary, which, again, if you haven't seen anything about it, go on Facebook and find Why Dinosaurs, question mark, or go to Instagram at Why Dinosaurs and check out the trailers. Look at all these people they've interviewed who are going to be in this thing. It is set to premiere June 20th this year, finally, after COVID has set it to uh, to the back burner. And uh, from what I've heard, they're going to push to have it released on Netflix. So, yeah, look forward to that. Mark your calendars. Yeah, and also whydinosaurs.com, which is where we can get your book. Exactly. Perfect. Yes. Well, Tony, thank you very much. You have yourself a great day, my friend. All right, you too. It's been a blast. Thank you. Awesome. That was my discussion with the Dino Geek, wherein I did not hit my desk, creating a vibration that would be heard inside of my microphone. What'd you guys think? Was it delightful? Oh, delightfully devilish. Doug's a liar. He hasn't heard it yet because I have it on my hard drive and I haven't finished editing. Sorry, everybody. I'm a sham. <laughs> oh, he was good. I was in tears. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's say hypothetically, we get to the end of this episode and we really want to watch Carnosaur. And we're all like, oh, man, I want to watch Carnosaur. So they watch Carnosaur and like, I really want to read the book, but I am functionally illiterate and a dickhead. Uh, how would they get an audio book? Adrian. How would they get an audiobook of Carnosaur? Yes. Oh, if we get a thousand downloads. Boom. And Douglas, pop quiz. I want more Doug and I have a Roku. How do I make this these two wholly distinct ideas come together for a common purpose? Ah, good plan. Good plan. Well, if you're free Friday nights at eight o'clock, I host Friday Night Action at 8 p.m. on, on B-Movie TV on Roku. It's a free channel. We're, we're basically now getting ready uh, to finish Death Park. So um, I'll have some little cameos with the character I play on there. And uh, yeah, it's just a good time. And then we, we plug Slasher's podcast. We just have a lot of fun. So if you like movies like Carnosaur, uh, then you're going to sit down and wax your carrot to movies like Overkill 1996 or other things like that. Because Jake's on the channel as well, too, on Saturdays at 10. Absolutely. I do Saturday Night Terrors, which is dedicated pretty wholly to horror movies, quote unquote horror. You know, a lot of low budget and older stuff is more comedic in its you know delivery, but I, a lot of fun. And I really enjoy the show. I really enjoy the channel. I uh, really I have uh, three monitors set up right now at my workstation. And one of them I plug my Roku directly into and it's just streaming B-movie TV and sometimes I see karate and sometimes I see sci-fi and sometimes I see a lady's camel toe in full focus and I'm worried that it's going to show in the reflection of my glasses while I'm deposing someone who is lying to me. Adrian, I've already given you one pop quiz so I have, I have faith in you. You're going to be my star student today. You can answer this question. If I have too much money that I want to irresponsibly use and not invest in bit tokens, what do I do? 
Well, you can support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash slashers pod, or you can purchase any one of our new designs. I'm wearing one now. And if you all can see on our Redbubble at slasherspod.redbubble.com. And if you sign up, we're expanding this one minute review bullshit because we've had fun. And you can get multiple one minute reviews if you do your Patreon sign up, right? Bingo, bango, bongo. And there's another way to get it wherein you spend more than $25 on the Redbubble. You just send us your proof of purchase. You tell us what you want, which host you want to do it. Boom. You got yourself a one minute review targeted content for you that could even be an ad for your bullshit. No, I'm going to say now you can invest in Slasher's coin. So, you know, Elon yes. Musk should, should be supporting us very soon. It's our crypt-o-currency. Get it? Because it's like a dead thing. Ah. Tales from the crypt. Oh, current. It's okay. They're not all going to win. My name is Jake for Doug and Adrian saying goodbye. Goodbye.